Welcome to the Barack Lurie Podcast. My name is Ari David, producer of the Barack Lurie Podcast. We're here with the great Barack Lurie. Hi, everyone. It is, what day is it? Now I'm great. Oh, I appreciate that. But, uh, the date is 11-30-2012. 11-30-2012. One of those uh, nice round uh, kind of numbers, I guess. Right. Yeah, so what's going on with well, you today? you know, it's really, I've, I've been thinking about so much about this one particular issue, especially because of uh, a recent mediation that I had, and it's the issue of the relative importance we place as a society on the judicial system. And I know this sounds maybe self-serving in some ways. I don't think it is. Uh, even when I was a little kid, I understood that the importance of a court. Look, you know, you go down to court, and I always, it's always fascinating to me as a kid, even like 9, 10, 11 years old, and I knew that this was a courthouse and this is where people went to resolve their disputes. I always thought it was interesting that this, they built a whole building on the understanding that there's going to be disputes in the future, right? It's not as if they said, well, there's a bunch of disputes right now and uh, we need to just kind of fix it somehow. No, they built a building knowing that there's going to be problems in the future and there always will be problems in the future. There'll be lawyers necessary 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now. Some sort of dispute mechanism, a dispute resolution mechanism has to be out there. And probably you'll be, you know, with lawyers and judges and human beings no matter what. Whether there's a jury system, that's a different story, but nevertheless, there'll be resolution. So, you know, why, why do we have these buildings? Why do we have this whole system design? Because we know that it's critical to the functioning of our society. If you don't have a judicial system, and a robust judicial system, your system, your economic system is going to collapse. Hey, what do you think about that? I think... Is that crazy? I think Barack is right. Without him as a lawyer, the whole <laughs> world falls apart. Well, that, that goes without saying. <laughs> but the judicial system. And this is where, this is where I want to lead because, um, you know, I don't know who said it to me. He said, show me a country that doesn't have a lot of litigation, and I'll show you a fruit stand economy. What do you have against fruit? <laughs> I love fruit. I'm a, I'm a vegan. I have to eat fruit um, as far as my But you're, you're talking about the kind of economy where the predominant buyers and sellers of goods and services operate in, you know, essentially farmer's market stalls versus exactly mega right. marts and, with yeah. commuterized yeah. everything. And, and the reason why I say a fruit stand economy is not because of fruit per se. I mean anything in the flea market, things like that, where where you'll have a transaction, yes, but you'll be selling your hummus for uh, you know a dollar a bag, and that's about it. And your biggest legal problem is from time to time somebody will steal something from underneath the table and run away. That's that's the issue of your legal disputes. And um, the reason why we have a legal system is not because we, you know, it's just this this nuisance, this annoyance. It's because without it. You cannot have these long-range contracts that you would enforce, right? I mean, think about Microsoft or Apple, any of these companies. They have huge contracts, I mean, literally long contracts that last for many years and they cross many borders. Do you think they would enter into these contracts if they felt for a moment that they couldn't enforce them? Uh, no. The, the, the reason they can do that kind of business is because they have some sort of trust built in to their systems and where they operate. That's that right. The, the investments they make in these products and services they create are going to be uh, generate the kind of revenues needed 
with the kind of enforcement mechanisms needed to make these things uh, sure exactly bets. Right. That's exactly right. And you got it. You got an issue there with um, enforcement. And if you don't have enforcement, if it's not seriously considered, then you're going to have a big problem. Look, you go to Europe uh, to a lesser extent, but go to the extreme example. Let's say Peru, Honduras, uh, countries that we consider, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the banana republics. What do you have against bananas? That Barack is just going off on the fruit. But I did We're say gonna that. get sued. But I did say republic. <laughs> Why not a vegetable republic? Why not a zucchini republic? Well, I mean, bananas are bananas, you know. So <laughs> that's a good point. I gotta, I gotta think twice. About I mean, I've been, I've been dealing with my kids today. My mind is kind oh, of oh, I see. You know, there you go. Four-year-old place, you know. Well, you have you have these uh, banana republics where um, you know that they. They, generally speaking, don't have any litigation. So you can look to them and say, isn't that great? What a great culture they have. It must be a cultural thing where people agree not to sue each other. No, 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 my friend. Uh, that's not the reason why they don't sue each other. The reason why they don't sue each other, Ari, is because they can't really sue each other. They have nothing to enforce. So they have a major dispute with somebody. Uh, they agreed to buy some land, for example, and now the guy doesn't want to sell them that land. Guess what? You can go to court if you want, to the extent there's even a court in the first place. You'll get a piece of paper. And then you can't do anything with it. Nobody's going to enforce it. Or it's extremely difficult to enforce it. Or even more extreme examples. They don't resolve their differences in court. They resolve it with violence. With violence, or, exactly right. Or when there is a court, it's done the old uh, way we have in our imaginations about how things were done in the feudal times and serfdom with kings That's acting right. capriciously by fiat on each without any consistency. Right, uh, and it depends uh, on your relationship. And who right, who, who you know and who you paid off and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, and this is true to some extent still in Europe. Europe is getting a little bit better in this department, but now it's there are other problems with Europe as well. And they, um, you know, they, 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 they like to look at Americans, oh, you Americans are so litigious. They're Say not, that with a French accent. You Americans are so litigious. That's better, yes. <laughs> I can do that with a French right, accent. So. <laughs> you are. You do not know how to do a job. <laughs> uh, and it's very interesting to hear. Yeah. It's very interesting to hear. Yeah. Uh, Europeans, particularly Italians and French and otherwise, with their snooty accents, especially the French, uh, saying how, um, you know, how, how crazy our system is. But the reality is, you know, it's not as if we Americans have a, uh, a litigation DNA that, uh, that they, they, you know, gene that they don't have. Uh, the reason why is that uh, we can't. I mean, what's, what do they say about, uh, you know, dogs? <laughs> the reason why. So they can't. That's the reason. Oh, I'm sure that dog will let you if you ask him. That's right. Exactly right. That was an old joke that my, <laughs> my wife used to say. Someone would say that. And <laughs> That's right. She'd say, I'm sure if you ask the That's dog, right. it'll let you. The reason why people sue is because they can't sue. And, and uh, more incentive for them to sue is to know that it, it, it actually means something. If you sue and you get a judgment, the reason why people are terrified of being uh, sued is because they know that it could be enforced against them. That's the reason why. If if I could sue you and, and it, mean, it meant nothing, they would say, "Fine, sue me. Big deal. Fine, well, that's not going to show up or, or mean anything, have any impact on my life." Uh, and that's the sense we get of judgments that come out of um, any other banana republic state. Yeah. So that, that's that's the way it works, and that's the reason why we do it. So now going full circle to what we're talking about. That is part of the reason why America is a great country. The legal system. It's not the only thing, of course. But when people talk about the rule of law, you hear this as a campaign rhetoric, right? They say, we believe in, in democracy and the rule of law. Uh, Bush said that. 
uh, when speaking about Iraq and trying to build Iraq, that one of the key things about Iraq had to be that there would be a rule of law. And if you don't have a rule of law, well, then by golly, uh, things are going to fall apart. So you can set up as many wonderful things as you like, such as uh, you know, elections and, and uh, municipalities and everything else. But if you don't have a rule of law where people actually know that, that their grievances are going to be fairly treated, not just treated, but fairly treated, they won't, they won't do anything. Would you? Uh, no, because what you're saying is any institution that's created up uh, out of thin air without the rule of law doesn't yeah. really exist and it doesn't has exist, no, no merit. I, but you wouldn't do it. I mean, you wouldn't do anything. Uh, you wouldn't engage in a, in a major endeavor, a major project. Or even a minor one. Why should someone yeah. set up a store selling any sort of good or providing any sort of service if the person knew there was no legal recourse for them if all of their products or all of their uh, cash was stolen from them. That's exactly right. And you certainly wouldn't uh, engage in tenant improvements, for example, right? Right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to just uh, go into an empty store and, and have a bunch of, uh, you know, clothing items that you put on hangers. You know, even that's at risk. Someone can steal that. But at least you have it engaged in hundreds of thousands of dollars in tenant improvements, such as a restaurant, right? Yeah. Uh, the law protects you in this regard, not just from a criminal point of view, but from a civil point of view, you have a good sense that your store is going to be there tomorrow. Your restaurant's going to be there. Your um, computer company is going to be there tomorrow. What have you? And so, people are incentivized to follow rule of law because they have the incentive to, because of the risk of winding up in front of a judge or in front of a jury in a court someday, right. where there are actual consequences if the decision were to go against them. That's right, and that's what contracts are all about. When you sign a contract. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I sign a contract, I read it carefully. I thought, okay, what am I binding myself to? I'm not just signing it because it's fun to sign it. I'm signing it knowing that, gosh, if, if things go the wrong way, this guy will have rights against me. Okay, okay. I have to ask you this because yeah. you are – we've already established in this episode of the podcast that you are the most important person on the face of the earth. You've okay? established that. I haven't. <laughs> You've stipulated that. Okay. Uh, Counselor. By my okay. – by the but, failure to uh, negate, okay. I, I and you have a sentence. great and you have a great track record of running, you know, ads and putting out information about, say, the importance of getting things in writing, the importance of reading contracts, etc. Right. Do you, Barack Lurie, Do mm -hmm. you read all, the entirety of Apple's user agreements and software licenses? Because I sort of right. Uh, <laughs> no, no, they they really get you. Uh, this is <laughs> because <laughs> no one can. No, no one can. You know, in the old days, it used to be, uh, you know, American Express would send you the amended uh, agreement to your cardholder agreement, right? Yeah. And uh, if you continue to use your card, you're, you're hereby agreeing to that. And, you know. In six-point type that you have to read with a jeweler's That's loop, right. And you know. you, we just don't have time. They, they throw us all these different deals and everything else. And the reality at the end of the day is you just can't uh, sign them all. And that's even more applicable when it comes to apps on uh, your, your iPhone and otherwise. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a nuisance, but you know they, they're doing what they have to, and fortunately, people it just doesn't seem to have come into play that much. Well, I think I think because of the reputation of companies like that, and yeah. they know they're not in the business of of making customers so mad they never buy another piece of software again. Right. So if there were agree, there was an episode of South Park about this. Yeah. That uh, do you did you ever see that episode? I, I no, I don't know. Well, uh, in this episode, uh, Steve Jobs put in severe penalties within the contract if you agree to it including um forced uh, really perverted surgeries that the person had to go through 
you ah. know, that were quite gross and, and everything. Right. Uh, that, of course, involved gastrointestinal to, uh, you know, you know mandibular connections. Yeah. I love but, South Park and the But they're making a, a, a joke about that. But the point is, in real life, most likely, had, if they put something into their contract like that, and someone clicked agree and had to go in front of a judge and could show the judge, well, would you read this? I had no expectations of that being in there. Right. I, I, I agreed to the no piracy, the no copywriting. Right, right. You know. and, and perhaps the interest rate has gone up from 7.2 to 7.3% or whatever it might yeah. be if it's a credit card, for example. Yeah, no, it, the standard has to be something that's reasonable at the end of the day. And, and judges are, are human beings, as it turns out, just like you and me. Who knew? And uh, they also have iPhones and they also have interest in their lives and they know how it works. So if you, if you present something that's out, absolutely outrageous, for example, there was an outrageous uh, thing that when somebody did that said that uh, you hereby agree that if we, unless you say otherwise, you will agree to pay for any of the uh, products that we mail to you. Okay. So, so it put, it put the, the consumer on the affirmative obligation to, to say no every time that they presented an idea. And that, that's crazy. So it, it, it was not, it was deemed uh, illegal uh, for that very reason as well. Look, going back to, to reading the contracts and everything else, um, you know, you should read them. You should be very careful with them, generally speaking. I'm talking about the day-to-day -day stuff. A contract, uh, you know, between yeah, person-to-person -person contract, person. not necessarily a business entity or right. person. So, so read them yeah. a little bit more carefully. But the point is that you want to. You, you, we understand that they're going to be enforced. I've given by when you enter into a contract, uh, you are literally binding yourself to that person, vis-a-vis -vis the obligations that you laid out. Okay, I'm going to give you. I'm going to sell you a hundred thousand bananas, and you're going to give me fruit. There, it's all the fruit. Thing. It's all. It's all over again. <laughs> Uh, and you give me, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in return. A buck a banana? Are you crazy? Well, you got to taste these bananas. Okay. Right. So, uh, you, you know, a hundred thousand, I knew you'd jump at that. Uh, but these, the hundred thousand, that's an obligation. I now have an obligation to, to give you the bananas and you have an obligation to give me the hundred thousand. So, and we can enforce it against each other. We've agreed to do it for our mutual benefit because we both think it's a win-win scenario. Um, and, and that's the way it is in America, and it's just not the way in other countries. Can I ask you something about that? Because you were talking about European attitudes and mm -hmm. court procedures. The, the classic image we have of how a king presides yeah. over a court right. is generally a feudal European vision, maybe Middle right. Eastern too, but generally you know, the old English kings or the French kings. Do you think the, that there is something embedded in those people's, if you will, DNA that yearns for that time or that kind of structure, yeah. and thus they look at the argumentativeness and the assertiveness of American lawyers in compared to the, or, or I should say, the the passivity yeah. of American judges in listening to the assertive American lawyer versus the way in European courts, for instance, the judges do the questioning, and the judges have more discretion depending on the country, and and are more relatable to that kind of that, that's, structure. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that they yearn for that kind of the judges that has the prosecutorial. But maybe they understand it. Is they that how it. life is, or something like that? You know, I think if they are influenced by something, because I, this is the next point I wanted to get to. It's an excellent question, but the main thing that they yearn for, if anything, is they would rather be, from a judicial point of view, less litigious, just like those wonderful people in Europe. In the same way that they long for 
um, the uh, the socialist system. There's this, this yearning for that. You see that in in America too. They, they somehow think of Europe has got it going when it comes to socialism. And you see socialism creeping into American society uh, in, in a party that, I forget the name of the party, I think it's called the Democratic Party. Yeah, the Democratic Party. Uh, no, I think they're called the Democrat Party. Yeah, Democrat Party. Because yeah. they say, they put the IC, the Democratic Party, That's right. to make people think they're democratic. Right, right. Even though they're and, not. And yet they're not. Yeah. Uh, I, I prefer to call them the Communist Party. <laughs> well, I wouldn't but that's go so just far. Me, you know? I won't go so far there, but... Uh, the Democrats definitely seem to yearn for a, an ever-increasing uh, – they don't want to call a socialist. They understand that's a bad word. But reality, let's call a spade a spade. They, they really want uh, more government intrusion into our lives, more government control over this or that industry. And you're seeing this yearning the same way that we see that yearning for kind of uh, more government control. They want to be more like Europe, and, and that means less of an influence of the judiciary. And – and no more impactful is that now being felt in California and many other states, but especially in California. Uh, if you go into courts now, you'll see many judges bemoaning the complete budgetary cutbacks that we're seeing. For a want of $31 million, now that's a lot of money to you and me, of course, but $31 million. Well, not to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also to me. Yeah. Uh, for a want of $31 million, the the entire judicial system is collapsing, in Los Angeles at least, and all throughout California. It's very, very difficult. Um, and people just don't want to fund the judiciary. They just they, they don't see it as a priority. And this is what this is the ultimate point that I'm getting to. I I think it's a great cause of concern. What they are interested in doing, apparently, is doing a, a hundred billion dollar bullet train. That they're gonna, it's gonna take years and years, if ever. Yeah, but that build. Fresno to Stockton line it, is it will, the, the demand for that will finally be two met. bankrupt communities that's to right. each other. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that, that incredible demand for that bullet train. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I always say to myself, oh, I, I, I'm about to go to, to Fresno. Ah, well, there's no bullet train. You know if only many, there are bullet trains to Fresno. Do you know how many somehow. gay couples in Fresno are going to Stockton to get married <laughs> and need to take that bullet train that's because true. the Greyhound is just too slow? Just too darn slow. But, you know, so, so that's, that's the priorities. People don't see – it's like we just don't get it. We have to have a shock to the system every once in a while for us to realize, oh, yeah, that's uh, why we, for example, take showers, right? You take a shower because um, it's clean and, and we avoid diseases that way and we smell better as a result. Um, but in the 60s, they didn't take showers. They thought it was uh, artificial somehow and it was not natural. So they didn't take showers, and lo and behold, they got all sorts of diseases, and they smelled terribly too. And they just didn't look good, and you wanted them out. They just didn't want to have anything to deal with them. So, but then they realized with all these diseases, now we realize why we need to shower, right? Um, yeah, one of my favorite stories. It's in like that Tom, Tom Wolf. Just before you say that, Tom yeah. Wolf called it the Great Relearning. <laughs> yeah, and I love that line. Yeah. And and I think we need. And we're going to have a great relearning when it comes to the judiciary. Yeah, relearning the blindingly obvious. Yeah, you that's know? what it is. Yeah. Right. Is that we in, have uh, to learn. We have to learn that, that boys and girls are different. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And you need to teach them differently as well. We need to learn, uh, for example, that, that uh, when you tax people too much, then they just won't be incentivized to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We, we, we need to learn. Or if you give them too much unemployment or welfare, they're disincentivized to find work or be yeah. productive. And then when all of these things come due, lo and behold, the government has no money for right. anything. 
and yeah. and and what and what they'll do is they'll blame the Republicans somehow for the, digging us into that ditch or whatever. But go ahead. You were uh, well, it, there's a book called "What's the Matter with California" by Jack Cashel. Oh yeah. And there's a part where he talks about the the hippie days and the lack of shower, and he talks he lists a number of the venereal diseases that were extinct for hundreds, if not thousands of years, because right. of the innovations of hygiene that slowly but surely took place since the Dark Ages up to the 1960s. And within five years, they all came back. Yeah, just, roaring back. Just roaring back. Yep. <laughs> and, Amazing, know. from the dead, literally. Yeah, and, from uh, the dead. It's a, it was a, it, And we had lice and all those things that we just didn't... We, we basically saw the end of. Yeah. Thank goodness some, some diseases are gone forever still, but like uh, polio and scarlet fever and such, but... And, and leprosy still to some extent, but boy, I mean, it was—it's just terrible. And so we have a great relearning, and it just—it just—it annoys the the crap out of me that we have to have to re-educate every time. We, you know, I, I have three kids, you have two kids, and it's—I'm sure it's passed through your mind, through your mind, that, gosh, these kids have to learn everything as though it were from day one. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think yeah. about all of the stories, Winnie the Pooh to Star Wars, that bye, <laughs> that um, you know we take for granted as you know wrote stories. Right. I think to to my kids, they're all brand new. They're totally you know, brand and there was something so almost ancient or medieval about seeing a child who mm -hmm. has no knowledge, right. not simply a lack of information because no experience, hasn't lived life, hasn't had a chance to learn these things, right. and think it's almost like. It, it takes you back to ancient man and think, at one point, there was someone on Earth, their age, yeah. without any of the information we know today right. that's been aggregated by adults, and somehow we built all this. Right. Yet people are so stupid, they have to relearn the basics, like taking showers right. every couple generations. Exactly you need a courthouse. Yep. Rule of law is good. Right. <laughs> you know? This is how basic it is. And, uh, and, and, and another great relearning thing, and this is a much bigger item, which is... That that limited government is better government. At big government, it was the norm and how bad it is. And now here we are going toward bigger and bigger government all the time. That's the way it was, you know, for, for, for time immemorial. Well, it seems that this dynamic that we're outlining here yeah. kind of explains why every 30 years, humanity kind of goes insane. The 1930s, the 1960s. Right. The nineteen, uh, well, the two thousand to yeah. two thousand ten era. Right. Uh, society, the, the old die. The the uh, a bunch of the mid life people lose right. their credibility with the young. The young forget the lessons that the elders tried to teach them. Right. They forget, make the exact same mistakes because they're humans, just like they were. 30 years, 6 years, right, right. 120 years before, and they make the same mistakes falling into the traps of tyranny, big government, right, uh, right. war, yeah. you know, economic yeah. collapse, etc. That's right. It's like when, when, I think we talked about this a while ago where, you know, we said 15-year-olds always seem to know everything, right? They, you know, you, you ask them, they, they somehow, and then, it, and, and they get into trouble and everything else, and, and then 10 years later in their lives, 35 years later, or, or 20 years later, when they're 25 and 35, respectively, then they look back on their lives and say, wow, what a crazy kid I was. I always got in so much trouble. Ha, ha, ha. Um, and it's, you know, you, you wish to, to be able to tell that kid, the 15-year-old kid, look, just try to step into 10 years from now if you can. I know it's hard to do, 
But imagine you are going to be 25 one day and you're going to look back on yourself and you're going to be embarrassed for what you said and what you did at the age of 15. And like, and even more so when you're 35 and 45 and 55. Um, so why, why not kind of go there already? Try to be a little bit more mature right now. And because that's what you'll need to do. And, uh, but you still can't get to them. You just can't. They, they think uh, whether Sally likes them is the most important thing or Bobby likes them is the most important thing. W whether being popular is really important, right? Whether the girl gave you that look uh, that, that, that made you feel terrible and this small. And you and I know she'll get that, hers. That's right. You know, you, and she thinks she's so pretty, but yeah. then she ends up being not so pretty later. Two, two, that's what smoking did to her. That's right. That's <laughs> you what know? smoking does. And and uh, the, yeah, drugs in fact do hurt you. And, and but they all have to learn it. The, these people. Yeah. And we as a, as a society have to go somehow. Like you said, every 30, 34, uh, 35, uh, every forty years or so, we have to go through this relearning process as though we were a child. Right, uh, because society is an organism too. That's right. And, and, it is. Know, it's an organism, and, and it's Very great well and so easy to say. You know, because I remember my grandparents would say yeah. those kinds of things to me at fifteen. Of course, your grandparents didn't say those things to you at fifteen because you did your homework and got to Stanford, <laughs> college boy. But you know, some of us aren't perfect. Uh, but the the truth is, is right. that we're we are animals. We're right. not computers. Right. We're we're fallible. Mm -hmm. uh, how often do any of us, even the great Barack Lurie, know one thing, but we choose the easy thing? Okay, eat that chocolate bar, even though we know we shouldn't, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. you, you know, we, we're frail in that case. Yeah, and but what, but society as a whole suffers it on these uh, these time scales too, because again, it's a living entity too, right. and it's also comprised of frail human beings who are imperfect. That's exactly right. I, it, but I love that the fact that you said that it has its own. Society itself is its own organism. It's it's like uh, its own character. You can have you know John, Bob, Sue, and so on. I mean, and, and list, they, they are all individuals, but together they are also another character. Right. And uh, hence the mob. Right. You can yes. never negotiate with a mob because it's it, you're not negotiating with those individuals. You're you're negotiating with the mob. And they have yeah. different identities. I mean, it's it's a very weird dynamic. Right. I've always held. I used to say I didn't have the like Ann Coulter yeah, came up with the perfect words for yeah. it. But I used to say Demonic, to people, right, yeah. right? But I used to say to people, "Wow, you know, you're so smart. You're so smart. You're so. Why won't you get all of you together? Does your collective IQ drop exponentially based on the number of people involved in the group? Yes. And that the mob language that Ann Coulter gave us actually explains it because. To communicate as an amorphous mass, the mob needs to simplify all intellectual activity to speed up the synapsal process That's from right. one end of the mob to the other. Right. Hence, a, a complex thing like um, uh, low, ta low taxes lead, oh, and smaller government lead to more productivity for all. Right. Turns into... The time is now. The time is right, right, now. Right. You know, the, the yeah. idiotic chant. Right. And you know? and, and, Hope and change. Right. And you know? eventually you lose the message and the message means nothing. Yeah. But, you know, we, we do have to relearn it. And, and you know who said it so well was Ronald Reagan. He said, liberty is never more than one generation from being lost. It has to be retaught over and over Again. Right, because it's not passed in the blood. It's it not is, passed in the blood. It has to be relearned, passed from parent to yeah. child, and if it isn't, we enter a thousand years of darkness when liberty right. dies. Or, yeah, and let yeah. me prove my point. There, you and I, when we walk down the street, let me. You're going to get your watch repaired, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Wherever you're going, picking up your kids and such. Do you see yourself 
as a, you can see yourself, your, your situation in many different ways, right? You can just see yourself as some guy who's getting his watch repaired, or you can see yourself as part of history, right? You can say, okay, I'm here in the year 2012, and uh, boy, this is great. We're, we're in the great American experiment. We are in a wonderful situation where we can actually do these things, and I, I feel relatively safe on my person, and I can engage in transactions with other people and uh, grow my business and all this. Isn't this wonderful? And I see myself as part of a continuum that started, let's say, with George Washington or even before, if you like. And uh, let's see where this takes us, that sort of thing. That's the way I view things. I, I see, if not every day, then very often I see myself as part of American history. And How that's why Barack Lurie does not leave the house without showers. That's right, exactly he right. He sees himself as right, part right. of history. But what about you? I'm, I'm curious. Do, um, do you see yourself as part of history? Because you know history. You know it very well. Well, being a fallible human being, you know. Right. And, I, I, and I, I love our fallibility. I forget that yeah. all the time. Right. But when I'm being my true self, my deepest, most integrated self, right. I look at myself as the um, heir to the messianic era that all of these generations built. Mm -hmm. Because think of all the stuff that we don't have to worry about anymore. Now, uh, aside from the fact of all the, the societal forgetfulness we, you talked about earlier, right. that's not really the point for this statement, right. but think of all these incredible technological innovations. Think of how safe it is to eat. Uh, I'll say something that you don't eat, but right. meat. Right. Think of it is safe. Uh, think of how many thousands of years mm -hmm. it was lethally dangerous to eat any meat, mm -hmm. uh, but because of plastic and refrigeration and knowledge of salting and preserving yeah. and all That's those remarkable. things, the one era into the other, you can now go into any grocery store in almost even the worst neighborhood in America yeah. and find a hot yeah. dog. <laughs> right? That's a really good it's point. an incredible messianic era. If if you looked at it from the perspective of a human being from a thousand years ago, five hundred years ago, even fifty or a hundred years ago, that's right. And so many people have forgotten this. And then I look at the era we're in now and think of this is the great bridging era. That if we don't descend into what, uh, or don't give into what Dennis Prager calls the era of stupidity, right, if right. we're able to survive the era of stupidity yeah. and understand what we're truly the gift that we have. And we can bridge to that next era, which will be like sort of like the Star Trek kind of generation right, right. of particle beam transporters and light speed uh, transportation and artificial gravity devices and unlimited power and flying cars. What kind of era will that be? And right. we have a chance to get our children's and their children's generation to there if yeah. we don't collapse into the era of stupidity. Well, we, we may be collapsing to the era of stupidity. Well, we have, but some people like the great Brock Lurie are here to hopefully well, let me, let me, save let me us say from that. this. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't call me the great Brock Lurie. I would say, the, you know, the, the pretty okay Brock Lurie. Uh, I think that's <laughs> the an accurate. mediocre Brock <laughs> I'm, I'm better than average Brock Lurie. That's a marketing slogan. Uh, I have heard right. one. Go to Brock Lurie. He's... He's, he's kind he's, of he's okay. He's, he's, he's better than average. Um, anyway, so look, uh, but but when I look at things uh, on a day-to-day -day level, maybe this is, I'm sure it is just me, but I look at, for example, I have a contract in front of me right now. I'm looking at the letters. These are Latin letters. They came from um, Rome, right? It was shared, in, and I know how it was spread, the Roman language, and I'm thankful for it because there's, so, there's more uniformity as a result of it. Uh, a lot of the, the words that I choose have historical meaning, and I appreciate those historical meanings. Um, I, I love the combination of English as a combination of French and German, and I, I know a little bit about that. I, and, and then, of course, the other things. We're in, a, in an air-conditioned office right now, 
and we're enjoying the benefits of that. We couldn't enjoy those benefits, uh, you know, 50, 100 years ago. It would be very difficult. We drive a car instead of a, a horseless carriage, right? Or sorry, instead of a horse, we, we, you know. So I think most people um, don't have that sense of history. People who don't have a sense of history, here's what they necessarily think. They think, okay, they don't even ask themselves the question. Here are letters, and my three examples, here are letters. They were always there. They don't even think about how they eventually got to that point and how we enjoy this uniformity of, of language. Uh, they, they see cars, and that's all there are. They're cars. There always were cars. So they understand there was once upon a time there were horses, but they, they don't appreciate how it went from horses to, to cars. Um, likewise with air conditioning. Likewise, likewise with the light bulb. Likewise with um, all the innovations that we see. They just take it for granted with their iPods and iPhones and everything else. And I see that these are items as tremendous growth. We are growing as an organism of society, as you called it. I think it's a very well put way. Anyway, when people see things only as they are and they cannot, cannot appreciate where, how they've come, they will inevitably decide uh, that what, what matters is, well, this guy has more than me. Give it to me. That, that woman has more than me. I want that too. And, and that's a shame. Well, I think what you were hitting on there or going around, which I think is the real crystallizing point, is that you appreciate and have gratitude for the letters that you inherited right. from the, the ancestors who created this, this standard uniform language that we're able to do business in. Right. You have gratitude for all the people who figured out how all of the complex technology in this building with its air conditioning, electronics, uh, computers, etc., work. Right. You have gratitude for all the people who invented all this stuff and then figured out how to make it all work together. Right. You have gratitude for the fact that although you might have to sit in a traffic jam on occasion, right. and although you may have a vehicle that causes more pollution than is ideal, mm -hmm. the benefits of those are so wonderful, they outweigh any downside at the moment. Right. And you're you you're, you're you feel gratitude to have inherited. And these people who don't see themselves connected to any of these things have lost all gratitude and thus then because of their lack of gratitude are then susceptible to the class warfare arguments of coveting someone else's stuff or That's thinking exactly that right. I don't have enough. The poorest person in this city right now has more than the richest person a thousand years ago. It's unbelievable. Right. And, they can, and travel, they, they can travel wherever they want to. They can live right. with air conditioning. They yeah. have the TV. They have the cell phone. They, they live beyond the wildest you're too. If you're too hot and you don't have air conditioning, you don't have a TV, no matter how much money you have or don't have, you can walk into almost any public building and mm -hmm. there's air conditioning. That's right. You're living better than kings did Yeah. back, back uh, 500 if years you, ago. If you collapse in, uh, in cardiac arrest, someone you don't even know who's never even heard of you will come with a chariot called right. an ambulance and take you to a medical center where they'll fix you right. and worry about you paying later. Right. That's, uh, That's right. And, uh, and they'll give you priority on the road as well. Yeah, but this isn't good enough to yeah. those people called Democrats? No. <laughs> it's not good enough because this is the way things always were. Right. Right? Yeah. So, um, which comes to, and, and we'll wrap up with this one full circle, because everything you just said is exactly right, exactly right, and it is gratitude and appreciation and what I also have gratitude and appreciation for is the rule of law. Because so much of what we have around us, the, the very reason for the existence of America, as we think of it, is the rule of law. And we are, again, trying to import what we saw from 
what we see from Europe and think that somehow that is the better way to go. It is not, and without uh, rule of law, we will simply collapse. We need to refocus our efforts, redouble our efforts to appreciate the rule of law and to understand that it should be blind to rich and poor, it should be blind to skin color, it should be blind to everything, and just focus on what the rule of law really is so that it creates predictability, enforceability, and fairness. This has been the Barack Lurie Legal Podcast with my producer, Ari Davis. Goodbye, everyone. Hello.